Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. So here's here's a little vision for today, okay? So we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and what a powerful study this is. We've been in chapter 5 for quite a few weeks. If you get to chapter 4, the transition that Paul makes is this. It goes from who we are in Christ, our identity in the first three chapters, to chapter four of how we're to walk out now our faith in Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's what we've been building on, walk in unity, uh, walk in holiness, and uh, walk in wisdom, walk in the light. All, all this has been uh, the emphasis. Today, we're going to look at how to walk out our faith in Christ in marriage, and there's emphasis here on Wives' responsibility of walking out of their faith. There's responsibility for husbands in this text. And so if you've got your Bibles, we will eventually get to Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, it'll be a great day. Part of the vision was I wanted to co-teach with Benji today. And so uh, Benji is my son, if you're new to the cross. And, uh, but Benji's been married for a few years now. They have a little one. They have another one on the way. Look at that. I like the way y'all are doing things, brother. Making me a grandpa over again. But uh, it's a beautiful thing. But I felt like it would be very wise uh, to have a 26-year-old dude who understands biblical covenant to speak in this space as well. So it's going to be a great day, Ben. And uh, open us up in prayer, and let's get rolling. Jesus, first off, we recognize that, that you were king. We recognize that you were God. And so we... Uh, just Holy Spirit ask that you will fill this room, that you will quiet distractions. We pray that you will silence any voice uh, amongst us that would distract us, Lord. That way, Jesus, only your voice uh, would speak clearly um, and true into our lives. And so uh, I thank you for the chance to open your word. I thank you for the opportunity um, just to, to dissect truth that you have written. Uh, I thank you for the model of marriage that you've given, and I thank you that it is so uh, clearly and explicitly written out in Scripture uh, so that there are no gray areas, but that we can uh, just dive into the depths of your heart for marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So here's what I would say. I'm 58 years old. Barb and I have been married for 30-plus years. Tomorrow is my girl's birthday. She'll be 57, which is a beautiful thing. But here's what I would say to you. Getting married is easy. Staying married is work. There better be resolve. There better be commitment. And our prayer, honestly, is that you would have a God-centered, successful marriage as you do life. That's our prayer. And uh, God has laid out his blueprint, his design of what marriage is to look like. Marriage If you go back and study, it's God's idea. It's not man's idea. In order to get to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, you've got to go back and understand Genesis chapter 2 of the blueprint that God has laid out. Now, I want you to hear this, starting in verse 15. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Everything that God had created up until this point, let there be light, created the vegetation, fish, whatever, 
every, everything God had set up into this point was, and it was good. And that was the end of the first day. That was good. He gets to a place where he goes, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. The word helper, when you study it, literally means a tailor-made mate for him. Now, this is God's design. God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. God took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh. God fashioned into the woman the rib which he had taken from man. And I will say until I die that when God removed the rib, it was not a spare rib. It was a prime rib. It is very important to understand that. So God brought her to the man, her. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. The two Hebrew words are ish for man, isha for the female there. For this reason, a man shall leave. A man shall leave his father and mother. He shall cleave. He shall be joined together with his wife. And they shall weave. You got to rhyme. The older you get, you got to learn how to rhyme words and all that stuff. Benji, it'll help you in communication. And they shall become one flesh. So there's leaving, there's cleaving, there's weaving. That is God's blueprint. Now, let me say this because of the culture and day in which we live, marriage, biblical marriage, and the only definition that I believe we can lean into and use for marriage is the union of a male and a female, okay? That is the biblical stance, and that is where we stand at the cross Loganville. Culture does not define marriage. God does. And again, we're living in insane times where man has tried to redefine what God's blueprint is. I'll say this. Sexuality is defined in Scripture as intentionally male and intentionally female. It is not based on desire or even orientation. Reality is we live in a fallen world where we're all tempted. God's blueprint does not stutter and is very clear. Okay, marriage is sacred. It is to be a portrait, if you will, of Christ and the church. When you study, you'll get to that in a bit in Ephesians 5. Uh, marriage is to lead to procreation. God tells us to be fruitful and multiply. And so that's part of God's design. And also, Ben, marriage includes, when you study it, different roles and different responsibilities. Yeah, and I think that's... Uh what you just touched on as far as man manipulating um, so much of God's truth. It's, it's throughout scripture, um, I think a lot of, especially new age Christians wanna live in the gray of very little of what we read in this book is clear and concise and very explicit. Um, but I mean, we, we do, I mean, we have very, very, very clear and explicit and, and we get very and into some very dangerous waters when we start to try to manipulate that for personal desire or personal gratification or um, just to satisfy the flesh. Um, right. But even going into the, the biblical sense of marriage, I mean, there's two ways 
Well, there's one way that Scripture writes out what marriage is designed to be, and then there's a way, as we talk about man manipulating it, that man looks at it to be. The biblical sense of marriage is a covenant. Um, And I want to read this little bit. It says that a, a covenant is a binding will that is agreed upon that is to last a lifetime. Uh, At every covenant's core, there is a change in relationship. In biblical covenant, we are trusting a divine being to hold us accountable, which means covenants are not easily broken. When the Bible speaks of covenants, it's usually more than just an alliance and certainly more than a transaction of goods and services, but it is a bond that God himself holds people to. And so even just kind of finding this quote and reading through it the last couple days of, of letting that sink in of when we step into marriage, it is not a contract that we're signing with somebody else. Uh, society has contracts uh, throughout sports, throughout jobs, throughout businesses. Um, for, for sports fans, we see that contracts are set for millions of dollars at times. And even though there's uh, extreme value placed on contracts, it takes nothing for a team to trade somebody off to another team, right? It takes nothing for that contract to be broken. Because ultimately, a contract is just an agreement between two or more parties um, that is enforced by law uh, that can be easily broken or violated. And so we'll take worldly contract, and if it does not, uh, or I should say, if it does fit and please and satisfy our flesh more easily than a covenant will, that becomes the basis in which we believe marriage is to be operated under, and it's not. Uh, we'll get in here into a minute of talking about um, just the significance of covenant, but uh, when we step into this marriage covenant, we are trust, or, or we are stepping into something that a divine God and creator is holding us accountable to. Mm-hmm. Not you and I holding each other accountable to because we're sinful and we can mess up and we can fail each other. But, but if you read through even in the Old Testament, um, so many biblical figures who made covenants, I mean, they were deeply impactful. We just recently went through a study with a group that I'm in um, talking about just the importance of vows and verbal things that we speak and the things that we say, how much weight they carry. Um, but making a covenant between or, or underneath the divine being is huge. And so uh, even doing some study, I mean, there's 40 to 50% of Americans um, that either have suffered from divorce or have been a part of divorce or somewhere along the family tree um, have, have had to deal with divorce in your family, almost 50%. All right, so we don't say that to, to impose a, um, a statistic on you, right? But, but we, I want to share that 50% because that, if anything, shows the just extreme dire need for one, for people, uh, an older generation, to speak into the younger generation of the significance of covenant, uh, of understanding that, yeah, 50% of, of marriages in America fail, right? And so how much more do we need um, a, just a, a body of believers and a group of people to speak that truth into the next generation of when you step into this covenant, this isn't a contract that can be broken. I mean, you are making a commitment for a lifetime. And if that's not something that you're willing to do, or if that's something that you feel like there's going to be some wavering issues down the road, then we don't need to do this, right? And at the same time, we also need a generation who's willing to fight for that covenant as well. Speaking that into the next generation, but also understanding that, that we are uh, those who are married like that. We've got to fight for that, to be able to set that example for the next generation. Uh, and dealing with so many high school kids, even in work, uh, we see that the issues that lie within the kids typically aren't always, sometimes, but not always the kid's fault. 
right? Like typically it's a generational trickle down from the generations above them that set a standard that which they fall into and which they end up teaching and training their kids basically under, intentionally or not. And so for that cycle to end, it's got to start with a generation that says, we will fight for this covenant to set the example underneath us that this is something that cannot be wavered, but that is firm and solidified and that is bound through a divine being. Malachi 2, 14 through 16 says that um, you ask why, and it's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you, and you belong to him in body and spirit? And what does the one God speak? Godly, or what does the one God seek? God speak, uh, he speaks, he seeks godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one that he should protect, says the Lord God Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. The Lord has been a witness between you and your wife and that she is your companion and your wife by covenant. That men are called to protect our wives. Uh, that we have to be on our guard. And I really do believe that the moment that uh, we as, as men and in marriage, the moment that we allow pride to basically set in and say, well, that would never happen to me. I would never go against the covenant of my wife. I would never do something to violate that covenant. As soon as those prideful statements become something that we believe in our heart is the instant that Satan has a foothold mm. to be able to find uh, some kind of avenue to cause distraction and destruction in your marriage. The moment pride says, that will never be me. And I think we've seen that, um, I mean, I can't speak for them, but so many uh, high Christian figures of the last decade, uh, we have seen that something at some point or another crept into where they thought, I'm above that. I'm above Satan attacking me in that area. Uh, in that area. Um, and for us men, I mean, for majority of us, that's where Satan will try to attack us in our lives. It doesn't matter um, you know, what other struggles we have, the attack for sexual perversion in our marriage is mm. a heightened sense of attack uh, for men. And so knowing that we've got to be on our guard, we have got to be aware of the areas where Satan will try to attack us. And through that, allow humility to be what drives us to our knees, seeking God uh, to fill us with the love that we're called to love our wives with. Because if I'm trying to love grace on my own power and on my own mm. uh, energy, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna tap out, I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna run dry. Right, but if, uh, and we'll kind of get into this towards the end, but I've got to be humbly seeking the Lord for the love, for the strength, for sacrifice, for the ability to serve her. And if I'm not doing those things, I'm going to fail her miserably. Right? Um, but it's through that, that humbling um, that we can find the ability to, to prevail through that. And so really the marriage covenant includes four things. It includes uh, a statement of values to be agreed upon. Uh, there's scriptures in Genesis 26 and Genesis 31 where you can kind of find the basis of this. Uh, but it's, it's a statement of values. It's a binding will that is secured by an oath and vows that we'll take uh, during the wedding ceremony. And it's a pledge, uh, and a pledge is made to guarantee that it will not be broken. And then an external act uh, of the, the handing off of rings is the symbolism um, you know, that solidifies, again, that that covenant has been made. Um, and so, it's, I mean, marriage is not to be taken lightly. I mean, covenant is a very, very, very uh, serious and very sacred thing to hold to. It's so powerful. And if you go back and study it, guys, for real, uh, they would sacrifice a, a lamb or a goat or whatever, 
and shed the blood there at a covenant ceremony and both people entering into covenant would say, make this declaration. If I would ever do anything to violate this covenant, I pray that God would deal with me as severely as this dead animal being cut in half. It was like, this is very, very serious. And so it cannot be taken lightly. And personally for me, as I said on the front side, I mean, 30 years in covenant with Barb, the greatest decision I ever made was to marry her uh, and, and the blessing that God has, has gifted us with over the years, it's powerful. So when you go back and study marriage covenant, uh, the marriage covenant is sacred and holy. It is established by God. It was God's idea. It still is God's idea. It is to be consecrated, and God has called us to walk in purity, Benji. It's an irrevocable promise, as Benji said. It's oneness with an imperfect person of opposite sex. That, that's it. I am in covenant with Barb. I am in covenant with an imperfect person. She is in covenant with an imperfect person, but it's of opposite sex. And then it's for a lifetime because God is a promise keeper. God is a covenant keeper. And so when we step into it, we're saying we're stepping into God's blueprint and design, and uh, this is the way God desires for us to live. And so over the years, I've just kind of contemplated like responsibility that we have. And for every man, I would challenge you today uh, as we contemplate covenant and the seriousness of marriage, coach. I mean, as we look at it, we have to get up. We cannot just lay around and, and be lazy and veg out and Netflix and play video games. That, that's not a man, okay? A real man's going to get up. He's going to set the pace. Uh, and I really felt like God put this on my heart years ago that I'm the first one up in my house every day. I, I got to get up. I've got to hang with the Lord, and I, I, I've got to get up and grow up as the next one. I, I've got to really be pressing in to become the man that God has called me to be. That's one of the things of a man when I look at it. I mean, he's getting up. He's growing up. He's showing up, meaning he's providing for his family. He realizes that underneath the the lordship and headship of Christ, God has called us to be prophets speaking into our family, priests intercessing uh, on behalf of our family. He's called us to protect, to provide. That's part of it. And he's called us to know what's up. I mean, we need to get a pulse on what's happening with our wife, what's happening with our kids. I mean, and that's part of just becoming a responsible man. It's like, get up, grow up, show up, and know what's up, brother. Let's, uh, let's go to Ephesians 5. If you guys have your Bibles, we'll open up there. We'll be in Ephesians 5, uh, starting out in chapter 21. We're going to read through verse, or sorry, chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, and we're going to read for just a couple seconds here. Ephesians 5, starting in 21, says, Out of respect for Christ, be subject to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands as, uh, as to the Lord. The husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. The church submits to Christ, and wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. 
Husbands ought, uh, husbands ought to love, your, uh, love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Mm. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother, uh, back in Genesis, leaves his father and mother and is to be joined to his wife and the two are to become one flesh. This is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so what is marriage supposed to look like? We'll talk about wives here in a second, but uh, um, do we have that, that diagram, that um, triangle? There we go. Uh, so, but it all really kind of begins in verse 21 with, mutu- uh, with mutual submission to Jesus. It says, out of Christ be subject to one another. And as I think you created this years and years ago. I remember seeing this all growing up. But ultimately, once we step into marriage, there is, there's a closeness, but there's still a divide between us if we are not both pursuing God. Mm-hmm. If we are both not personally pursuing Christ in our marriages, there will, there will, there's just inevitably going to still be uh, a point of separation because we are not fully living into the marriage covenant through the design that God created us to. And so as the man gets up and grows up and shows up and begins pursuing the heart of God, and as he begins to lead that out in his wife, and as the wife begins to then move towards oneness with the Lord, and as they both uh, in their personal lives but together begin to pursue the heart of God, naturally the intimacy within that marriage becomes closer mm-hmm. and more connected uh, and, and just um, it, it binds itself more together. And I think we can attest to that of areas um, at times where I know that I have not led our family, uh, I should say, maybe I'm leading myself more than I'm kind of taking that responsibility to lead our family uh, in the pursuit of God's heart. There's, there's just something off at times, right? And so, it, it, again, it starts with the man. It starts with the husband's getting up and growing up and saying, I'm going to pursue the heart of God. And in doing so, I want to encourage and bring my wife along with that, knowing that that's what shortens the distance and binds that unity of covenant even more. That's right. Here's one of the, I want you to hear this. Here's one of the flaws or struggles that I've had, like with marriage being taught over the years. Most people start in verse 22. If you've got like a traditional paper Bible, if you look, it normally starts with marriage over verse 22. That's not where it starts. It's this whole thing of our attitude, walking in the light, etc. But it, everything hinges on verse 21. It is mutual submission to Christ that has to be the foundation of the way we're building our covenant. Okay? So the interesting thing, uh, when you start in verse, uh, you get to verse 22, it's all about walking worthy in marriage. Wives, here's how you walk worthy in marriage. It means that you choose to respect and yield and submit to the leadership of your husband. Submission does not mean that you are to be dominated, manipulated, or oppressed. It means I choose to yield and submit as my husband submits to the Lord. Husbands, this passage right here is not written to you. It's written to the wife. And never once will you read in Scripture does it say, make your wife submit to you or dominate your wife or intimidate your wife or manipulate your wife. It doesn't say that. 
It's when we lead out of love and grace and we're being prophet, priest, protector, etc., that she desires to yield to that. If you're manipulating and dominating and trying to just rule over her, you need to repent. That's not how Christ loves us. And that's not God's blueprint whatsoever. And, uh, and I will say this, because when you get to this word right here, submit, in our culture, it's almost presented like it's a dirty word, like a curse word, like a degrading word. It's not. It's a beautiful portrait of Christ and the church. I promise you that it is. When, when you look at it, it's like wives. Was Jesus, uh, is he asking us to do something that he didn't do himself? He said, I always do what pleases the Father. I always yield to the Father. I always trust what the Father is doing. So when, when you choose to yield, it really is a beautiful portrait of, of, of honoring Christ. God established the blueprint. And, and I would tell you this loud and clear. And if you're watching online, please hear me on this. If you're not willing to submit and yield to him, do not get married. Because you will end up going against God's blueprint. Don't, don't get married. And if you're single, and, and, and some of our younger girls, Brookie and, and, and Julie, you know, y'all, Hannah, y'all listen to me. Addison, younger girls, you better think through this before you get married. You can't rush into it because part of God's blueprint is yielding and submitting to the leadership of your husband. And so many people out of loneliness are just out of, I don't know, just uh, uh, starving to be noticed or affirmed will walk into marriage and they don't realize they're walking into covenant, but it's like, this is God's responsibility. And, and you do need to ask yourself, am I willing to line up underneath his values and underneath his leadership. Check this video out uh, that I think speaks into this space. Before Tim and our family came to the cross, he was in full-time sports ministry for 20 years. And uh, there's myself and a number of our children don't always embrace change as quickly as some of the others do. And that was the case when we really started praying about what the future look like and potentially moving on and moving into a church. So I had one of these particular children that is not really fond of change, uh, really asked me a lot of questions and, you know, what if dad's making a big mistake and what if we get there and it's terrible, which honestly, there have been days that have been terrible, but, um, for the most part we have loved it. And I just explained to her that I trust the Lord and I trust daddy's ability to hear from the Lord. And I don't really know what it's going to look like, but I just really trust that he's going to lead us and whatever happens is going to be for his glory and our good. And like I said, there've been hard days, but we are very thankful that we have gotten to be here and to do life with all of you here at the cross. All right. So let me, let me say this to you. All right. So this was 10 plus years ago, and I will never forget that conversation when Barb affirmed so much value to me when she told the kids, I trust the Lord, I trust your dad's ability to hear from the Lord, and I trust your, your dad to lead us. That, that was such a humbling gift to receive right there. And one of the things, ladies, I mean, I, I promise you right now, 
us dudes are a lot more fragile than we come across at times. We're, we're fragile. We're, we're fragile. And uh, when I got sick, I mean, I'm a baby. I'm like, I just want her to take care of me. Well, she happened to be sick, but she still took care of me. But Benji knows that. It's like, I'm fragile. And, and guys are constantly trying to answer the question, do I have what it takes to be a man? And when you validate those crucial decisions in life, it does something in regards to bringing comfort in us. So here, here's what I would say. Submission and yielding does not mean the wife is inferior. A willingness to submit should be praised and not mocked in our culture. The problem is, I think, for so many, it is mocked. Where God's blueprint and God's design, the word of God has to be our final authority. It has to be what we go to. Verse 22, when you read it, it should give the wife the motivation that she needs. It is your worship unto the Lord. When you submit and yield, you're worshiping the Lord. You're, you're doing what God asks you to do, and God goes, that, that's worship to me right there. Verse 23 gives us the reason, based on God's design, that God has placed us in a certain role as husbands to lead, to be the head, and but wives are not inferior. We have different roles and different responsibilities in the marriage. And I'm telling you right now, one of the keys of keeping a marriage healthy is learning the power of uh, collaboration. We've counseled with so many people over the years, and I've sat down with couples, and I've had women look at me and just tell me how terrible the dude was. He's, he's awful. He's terrible. He, he's one of the most jacked up people you'll ever meet. You're not telling me just what you think about him. You're telling me about your jacked up decision making because you married him. And a lot of times couples will sit there, Dave, and they will throw rocks at the other one. But I'm like, you made the choice. Now, unless you're in some other sun, moon, uh, sun young moon uh, cult or something where they're prearranged, but here in our culture, when you marry a person, you're, you're choosing to do it. And, and I would just encourage you again, man, don't rush into that. Wives, it's not an inferior thing. It is a command. We're called. But guys, it is our responsibility to love our wives like Christ loves the church. Benji, is so crucial that dudes understand their responsibility before the Lord, bud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you guys went over a couple weeks ago, but even the start of chapter 4 where Paul says, I urge you, uh, I want to speak it truly. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you received. Was well, as, as married men, one of the, the callings that we've received as husbands. Um, and so that we are to walk and to live a life worthy of the calling uh, in our marriage to love our wives. And I think that this submission piece for the wives becomes a lot easier mm -hmm. when the surrender to the husband is in place, right? Like if the husband is obviously a, a wayward acting, if he's a selfish, you know, living, if he's um, a Netflix and video game indulger, then that desire to submit is going to be mm -hmm. extremely hard. Even if it's submitting ultimately to the Lord, um, 
the the picture of the Lord in that marriage is jacked up because the husband should be submitted to Christ and through what the Lord is doing in his heart, that should encourage the submission of the wife. And so as long as the husband lives in that adolescent spiritual Mm -hmm. uh, place, then the submission of the wife is going to be extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And that immediately is going to already cause that divide there. And so husbands, um, you know, how, how do we live a life worthy of the, of the submission and the leadership of our wives. And as he writes out there in the back half of uh, that portion in chapter 5, it's that we are to model what Christ did for the church. The only way that we even have salvation is because Christ gave all that he had. He loved, he served, and he ultimately was willing and did die for us. Right, And so the Ephesians, it's, it's very strong wording, but it's like in that manner, that is how we are to love our wives. We are to be willing to love her with everything that we have. We are to, to speak kindly to her. We are to serve her. We are to speak truth into her. Uh, but we are ultimately basically stating that we are willing to die for her. And we are not going to be willing to love and to serve and to die and to do those things for our wife if we are not submitted to Christ. Um, we've talked through this in marriage counseling with, with folks. So it starts ultimately with the man. The, Paul starts out with the wives in submission, but it really starts with the man because you have got to be surrendered to the Lord first and foremost, leading her, as we talked about in that picture, to encourage her uh, into devotion to the Lord and encouraging that submission to her, but she will be encouraged to submit based on the way that you are leading her under Christ. Uh, I was reading through... Nehemiah the last couple of weeks, and I want to I read this, this prayer that, uh, that Nehemiah prays in chapter 1, and, and we'll kind of tie in here, but uh, Nehemiah is basically just heartbroken over some things that are going on in Jerusalem, and um, he, uh, he's fasting and mourning and praying, but he gets into this portion of the prayer in Nehemiah 1, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 5, he's like, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for, their, for your servants, the people of Israel. Here's the main uh, piece. He said, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. And we were tossing this around in in our staff time a couple weeks ago, but um, how many of us men, when we go to pray, do we pray, Lord, forgive me, forgive me for my sin, forgive me for the things that I've done wrong, the area where I jacked it up yesterday, but also I repent of the sins of my family and even my country. All right, like I I think very, uh, very, seldomly do we pray and repent on behalf of our families. But ultimately knowing if I have been called through covenant to be the head and the leader of my marriage, then I also have the responsibility to repent on behalf of my family. And I, I've just prayed through and thought through this over the last probably two weeks of just thinking like, man, like it is on me even to repent for the things that I see happen in my family, whether through my wife or through my children. But uh, Praise God, we don't have to sacrifice uh, animals and things anymore. But in, in the Old Testament, like there would be uh, the righteous men of God. They were sacrificing on behalf of their children, on behalf of their wives, on behalf of their servants, on behalf of whatever was happening underneath their household. 
excuse me, their household is what they were held responsible for. Uh, and so, again, starting with the husbands, when, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned back into the garden, like who did God first look at? He didn't go hunting around for Eve because Eve's the first one that took a bite and offered it to Adam. He went looking for Adam. He said, where were you? Because ultimately you failed in your leadership of Eve to even uh, allow her to, to have the opportunity to be tempted and partake in that, uh, that temptation from Satan. Where were you? Last I checked, you were standing next to her and you didn't say anything. You were silent. You were passive. You were not uh, actively standing in between Satan and your wife. You allowed her to have direct access to believing the lie. You've messed up. And because you messed up, it affected your wife, and now it affected you, and now you both have to face the music for what you did. But you are the one that did not stand in the gap. You are the one that did not take that initial responsibility to fight for her and allow Satan ultimately to, to, to have to come through you to get to her. You just stood passively by the wayside. And I think so many men in our culture have fallen under that same lie. We are passively standing beside or behind our wives because we don't have the, uh, to stand up in front of her, right? We don't have what it takes to stand in the gap between her and be willing to, to kind of feed those fiery darts. So you have got to stand up. It starts with us. Um, we are ultimately responsible for the welfare of our family, especially spiritually. Um, the word was guts. That's, guts. That's, good. that's, that's great. Right. I like the way you said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to wrap that up, though, maybe, but it falls on us to love. It falls on us to lead. It falls on us um, to, start, uh, to start out every single day in a humbling, surrendered, worshipful manner that, one, allows the Holy Spirit to work through us, to equip us, to strengthen us, and then to encourage and inspire that with our wives to bring them alongside. That's phenomenal. I mean, I love that Nehemiah one thing. And, and honestly, I've never done that in my life. That's, that's the first time anybody's ever spoke that into my space right there as far as repenting on behalf of your kids and repenting, that's powerful. And I'd, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's the first time that one kind of... It's about time that I can give you something <laughs> to go forth and use. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's so beautiful. The, the truth... Let's, I want to I wrap with this last slide here. And I want you to think about this, Okay. And I've thought about this over the years with the diagram of, of men and women. And uh, guys, we long for significance. As I said earlier, do I have what it takes to be a man? All right? Women long for security. Am I worth fighting for? Are you going to fight for me and take care of me? Back to what Benji said in the garden with the silence of Adam. Why didn't you stand up? Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you speak up? And, and where were you, Adam? So that's the truth right there. Guys long for significance. Girls long, women long for security. God has called men to sacrificial love. And the way we live that out is we've got to be willing to fight for her. I didn't say fight her. We've got to be willing to fight for her. 
fight for her growth, fight for her to become fully alive with who she is in Christ. God's called us to fight for our wives, fight for our marriage, to protect that covenant, uh, not allow anything to cut in on her. But God has also called us to serve our wives as Christ served the church and being willing to die for her. So screenshot that. But I would tell you this, when the husband, back to what Benji said, is living in surrender and living in submission, it makes it a lot easier for the wife to say, I want to follow that lead right there. When he's reckless and he's not manning up and showing up, it's hard. And, and as you submit, believing in your husband is so crucial as well as being willing to follow his lead. So when I think through just a simple diagram, back to the man and the wife both pursuing Christ, the, the, the more pressed into the Lord you are based on that triangle, the closer to each other you're going to be. But I'm like, man, when I find my significance in Christ and she finds her security in Christ, but yet I'm yielding and submitting to the Lord and she finds security in me, it's like I feel secure here. It's like, that's a beautiful thing right there. And, and because of how contaminated and confused and, and misrepresented marriage and covenant is in our society, society, we've got to get back to God's blueprint and allow what God has established as his design to drive who we are. I can't listen to what's coming out of Washington or what's coming out of certain liberal places and go, uh, I, I will follow. I'm not going to follow that. God has spoken. Now, I, we love people. Uh, we care about people. We show grace and tenderness toward people, and we want to reach people. But we have to go back and go, here's God's blueprint. So our, our prayer for you, for all of us, is that you would really have a God-centered, God-designed uh, marriage, and that you would really have a successful marriage. Again, with all the chaos that we're seeing today, it's... Uh, it's important, Benji. It's, it's very important that that next generation as well starts to speak into that younger generation, and you model it, but you got to speak into it. So, I mean, that's a beautiful thing right there. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, hear testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.